Does anyone know what this is? may not be very visible. There are clues of the sort of thing it might be, subtle clues around the room of the, the sort of thing it might be connected to. This is part of um, a sort of wooden advent calendar that we've got. They're called advent blocks. I bought them last year and, and we'll reuse them year on year until my children's shrugs and grunts tell me that it's gone on too long. Um, we, we've got them lined up on our mantelpiece. And they, they go from 1 to 25 and there's a star block that sits above them and, and then each day uh, you move it along as the month goes on. And when you get to the day, this is today's one, you turn it and there's a picture. So this one has got some stars on it. So after dinner tonight, I'll be sitting down with the girls and uh, and we'll read a bit of the story leading up to Jesus. In, in this case, the stars, I, I think, are, are the promises to Abraham. And as we've thought about a little bit already, what it's saying is that throughout the sweep of the Bible, it's all pointing in one direction. Christmas is coming. That's what this means. Are you excited? What are you waiting for? For me, I'm, I'm looking forward to eating an excessive amount of unnecessarily rich food. There can't be any consequences to that. Uh, and some time off from, from work and teaching and, and time together with family. And that'll all be lovely. And this Advent in church, we're going to be leading up to Christmas by, by looking at some of the things that people said about Jesus in the first few chapters here of Luke, as Matt was saying. Actually, as an eldership, we've been wanting to do some teaching on prayer. And that's going to come in the new year, I hope. But, but perhaps this will be a foretaste. Because we'll see several songs, several prayers, as people respond to seeing God at work, as they respond to seeing Christ arrive. We're going to see how Mary and Zechariah and Simeon pour out their praise and prayer. And hopefully it'll be a lovely Christmas series as, as baby Jesus rocks up. But, but it's not just the Advent calendar scene, you know, the, the window into the stable up there with, with Mary smiling, holding a little infant. It, it's more than that. We should see in these prayers, these songs, how God interacts with his people and how that long sweep of scripture is coming to a climax. So we'll see three faithful believers trust in the Lord to do much more than they can see happening yet. And hopefully we'll see something of how we can live as Christians in, in the now and not yet. We live with the promise of the gospel, security and safety. Jesus has won at the cross. And, and yet we live in a world which is so far from God. So dark when we watch the news, so hostile to his ways. As we wait in Advent, longing for Christ to return. So this morning... We're just going to look at the first half of Mary's song, verses 46 to 49. Let me read that for us again. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful 
of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Cynically, perhaps that seems remarkably articulate to you, for a young girl, probably not very educated. But bear in mind that quite apart from any inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this song doesn't appear out of nowhere. Mary has probably been dwelling on her situation for some days since she was visited by an angel, as we heard read. And she's been sent off to be with her older cousin Elizabeth. So on that long journey, her mind must have been a whirl, processing the situation. And so in verses 42 to 45, when Elizabeth greets her in excitement and joy, Mary is ready to pour out her thoughts. And also, what Mary has to say isn't completely original. It's picking up on patterns which have been established throughout Scripture. And that's hardly surprising because she, like any Israelite, will have been steeped in the language of the promises which are now being fulfilled. They have been waiting for such a long time. Ever since Eden, when Eve was promised that one of her children would crush the serpent's head. Ever since Abraham or David, who, who were each promised that one of their descendants would fulfill the covenant promise and blessings. Ever since Isaiah, centuries before Mary was born, he spoke those gorgeous promises that we'll read at the carol services. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. To us a child is born, a son is given. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Mary and her people have been waiting for this fulfillment. They've waited through exile from the land in punishment for their rejection of God's ways. They've waited through a, a remnant of people being called back to Israel, but it not being quite the same. God's presence wasn't there in the temple. They, they didn't return their nation to its former glories. Now, they, they've waited through four, five centuries of being a backwater, an irrelevant state kicked around by the big nations. And now something's happening. That's the context that Mary's speaking into. And what she has to say mirrors those songs from throughout the Old Testament because whenever God's people have seen his saving power and his mercy to them, they've responded by singing new songs which recognize his character and testify to the way he looks on his people in their weakness and the way that he works out his purposes without fail. So think of Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15, after they've passed through the Red Sea, and they sing of how the Lord, who is highly exalted, has upended the power of the nations. Or Deborah in chap Judges chapter 5, when, when Israel has been saved from their oppressors, she sings, So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Or the strongest parallel. Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
miserable in barrenness. But the Lord looks on her and lifts her up and grants her a miraculous child and she pours out her heart in praise. Mary's prayer echoes and picks up on those songs that we see through scripture, through the Psalms. Let's look at what she's got to say. And there there are just three things I want to pull out for us from these few verses. So first of all, look at verses 46 to 47 and the character of Mary's worship. Do you see the, the twin statements in 46 and 47? My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So her soul, her inmost being, and her spirit, that's her pneuma, her breath, what's deepest inside her and what comes out her mouth, together praising the Lord. It's a single statement, really, a single purpose for the whole of her. And the thing I think is really lovely there, do you notice it? Although in social terms, she's in some danger, she is a young, unmarried, pregnant girl, and soon people will start to notice Yet despite that, for her, glorifying God is wrapped up with rejoicing. This this isn't the caricature of Christian worship that many around us would see. So she isn't moved to mournfully, humbly abase herself before a, a stern and uncompassionate judge. God isn't to her, as Matt was saying, the scary old man from down the street. He's known. She's not called to a drab penitence or joyless self-denial that I think certainly most of my colleagues imagine is at the heart of Christianity. No, she's moved to rejoicing, even in her danger. And she sings this new song of praise to the God who is at work in her. And isn't that a wonderful characteristic of true Christian worship? Isn't that joy something that should stand out and amaze our neighbours? We, we actually genuinely believe that we've got something to be happy about. I wonder, does, does that joy and confidence in God ring true for you? Does it come through in my day-to-day interactions? Would our colleagues look at us and see one who rejoices in the Lord? It's not that we all have to be bubbly characters. The Lord has blessed many of us with more Eeyore-ish bent, and, and that's okay. But isn't it wonderful on a Sunday morning when we sing together as a church and we can exult in praising and rejoicing in our God? Does that same attitude carry through into the week? As we pray day by day, do we deliberately make rejoicing like this part of our prayers? I've got to say, I I find it very easy for my regular prayer to be quite downbeat. Maybe there's recognition of God's glory and penitent recognition of my state and then a list of appeals for help. Does that set the emotional tone for my life, for my day? Perhaps I need to be consciously imitating this and build deliberate, thankful praise and joy into my daily prayer pattern, how would that overflow? How might I look different than to my colleagues? How 
How might I encourage my family better? Mary rejoices as she glorifies her God. Secondly, verse 48. I think this is really striking. Mary rejoices and glorifies the Lord because she is seen completely. Verse 48. My soul glorifies the Lord because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, by all rights, Mary should be one of the least significant people in history. Think about it. She is an unmarried girl child, soon to be in disgrace, sent away into the hill country of a backwater vassal state of the Roman Empire. No one outside her family should know her name. There should be no newspaper articles about her. She should never trend on social media. She probably didn't, in fairness. There should be no obituary when she dies. She should be forgotten within a decade. And yet, back in verse 28 that Rosie read for us, the angel visited her. God knew and chose her. She is highly favoured. She was integral to plans that he had made from before the beginning of creation. And although she was a humble nothing, and in verse 38 she humbled herself further, she called herself just a slave girl, a servant. She was not too small for the Lord's notice. Isn't that amazing? He has been mindful of her humble state. He has known her and chosen her and exalted her. To be even the smallest in the kingdom of God is a great thing. I think she's far from the smallest. And look at what she's understood in verse 48. God has seen her, others will see it too. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What God has been planning from the beginning of creation, what God is working in her now, will come to fruition without fail, in the fullness of time. So that even now, this morning, 2,000 years later, her name is on our lips. That's amazing, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 16, there is another woman with a child but no family who in some sense is a foretaste of Mary. Hagar is driven away from Abraham's family with her infant boy. And she is rejected. She's parched in the desert with her child and expecting to die of thirst. But the Lord even comes to her and gives her water. She calls him the God who sees me. No one is beneath his notice. Friends, isn't that, again, something that is characteristic and wonderful about the Christian faith? The Lord is mindful of you in your humble state. There is no part of you that he does not see. So he sees you now, 
And he sees you in your joy and your rejoicing and your strength and in all that's pleasing and in the way you use the gifts you've got for the good of those around you and in your patience and generosity. And he sees you in your weakness and your hurts and your anxieties and your grief. And he sees you in your failings and each of your flaws and guilts. You can hide those from us. We might hide them from ourselves, not from him. He's the God who sees you completely, even when you're parched in the desert and in need. But he doesn't turn away. In a sense, to repent and turn to God, to depend on him and trust him, is easy. Because there are no surprises for him. There is no lurking darkness or weakness in my heart that he doesn't already know about. And yet he sees us in our full, humble state and he calls his people and invites us to follow. And though you might have a low opinion of yourself, like Mary, you are not beneath his notice. We see a pattern throughout Scripture that the Lord looks on his own in their need with acts of love. So, back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, as the Lord hears Hannah in her grief and grants her a precious child. Or, or the pattern through the book of Exodus and Judges, and then later on when Israel are in exile. Again and again, Israel's cry reaches the Lord and he hears and responds with mighty works of saving grace. Or even better, even more clearly, look to Jesus himself. Read the Gospels, see his character reveal. Maybe Mark chapter 1, as a, a leper comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Christ reaches out and heals him. Friends, the Lord sees you as he saw Mary. He looks on you with compassion and he calls you to his kingdom. He calls you to his service. He is mindful of you. And that is wonderful. Thirdly, verse 49, look at what Mary sees and praises about God himself. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. We'll get much more of this next time as Dan takes us through the rest of Mary's song. But for now, let's see this. There, there's a pattern of language that Luke uses throughout this book and throughout Acts. When he has someone saying, from now on, he's showing us that a change has happened. The plan has moved forward into a new phase. Things are different. God's at work. So Luke 5 verse 10, Jesus says to the disciples, from now on, you'll be fishers of men. Their lives are upended. Or, or 12 verse 52. From now on, families will be divided against each other. Strife is coming for believers. Or 22 verse 69. Jesus says, from now on, 
the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Or Acts 18, Paul says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He, he enters a new stage of his mission. So Mary says here in verse 48, from now on, the world will know I'm blessed because the mighty one has changed the world. Things will never be the same. Now, fairly obviously, Mary must know that the story's not over. It's just beginning. She can't yet know how things will pan out with the baby in her womb. She's likely to be as surprised as the rest of the disciples by much of her son's ministry, by the cross and resurrection. But not only does she know that the Lord is working a mighty miracle in her now, she also knows his character. Verse 48, holy is his name. We'll see next time that she recognizes his mercy, his consistent faithfulness, his care for the weak, his love for his people. And I think it's because of that recognition of the consistent, reliable goodness of God that she can speak of the future with such confidence. All generations will call me blessed. This God, his purposes will not fail. Because in his holiness, he does not turn from them. As the angel said in verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. She sees that her God has done great things to her. And everything about his character says that he will bring his plans to completion. That's what she's praising. Christmas is coming. How might this song, or the half of it we've looked at this morning, change the way that we live as a church in this Advent season? We've met the risen Jesus. We know how the story that's just starting here for Mary comes to fruition. We know that the Mighty One has done great things for his people. In his holiness and his mercy, he has given his Son as a sacrifice so that we, his people, called by his name, can be healed and called into discipleship and newness of life. We've seen Mary's song fulfilled even more gloriously in Christ. What will it look like to be those who are waiting for his return and for the completion of his work? Perhaps it means that we will sing and pray with confident joy like Mary did together this morning and, and through our weeks. Maybe that, that redefines the way that we talk to each other as families or friends or home groups or, or in church. Mary speaks to Elizabeth here, teaching her and reminding her, glorifying the Lord and rejoicing. Do, do we do the same with each other? If we do, presumably that will then overflow and show up in the way that we deal with others. So I wonder, how will this hope 
that we hold play out with those conversations at work for you? You know, what are you doing this holiday season? Oh, I'm going to see my parents. That's great. But, but the hope and joy we have, will that come through? Yes, there's time with family and big meals and presents, but e- even more, I'm remembering the knowledge that our God's mindful of his people, and mighty to save. Morden Road, let's be a church that sings to the Lord a new song like Mary does. Rejoice in your God. He sees you as you are, in all your weakness and need, and in his holiness, in his consistent character, which will never change, he has done great things for you. And his people will be blessed through all generations. Christmas is coming. Let's pray. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Father God, thank you for this example of Mary's worship of you. Thank you for the way that even this glorious prayer finds greater fulfilment in Jesus, your Son, who made himself a servant of all. Thank you for the hope you've given us in him. Please would you call and equip your people in this church to praise your name with joy, to humble ourselves before you with confidence, to faithfully testify to your holiness and goodness to those you put around us.